Welcome to the Mind Muscle Connection Podcast, a show that is dedicated to educating you on applying science-based training, nutrition, and mindset strategies from some of the top minds in the industry to help you build a leaner, stronger, and more confident self. I'm your host, Jeff Hain. Let's dive in. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Mind Muscle Connection Podcast. Today is a Q&A episode and I have three questions I'm going to dive into from Instagram. But before I do that, I'm just going to go over a few ways you can help support the podcast. So first, if you're sick of just focusing on weight loss and instead want a body recomp, then my one-on-one online coaching program is for you. I hope you lose body fat and build muscle with my body recomp training, nutrition, and lifestyle methods. We look at things like your lifestyle and biofeedback to individualize your training and nutrition program to you and your specific needs. Um, There's also at least one or two bottlenecks outside of the training and nutrition protocol that we figure out that are keeping you from seeing the results that you want to see. This usually keeps people from seeing results more than they think. If you aren't, so if you're interested in that, the link is in the show notes uh, and you can apply for it. And then we can set up a time to chat and, and discuss it in more detail, or you can reach out to me on Instagram and we can chat about it there. If you aren't interested in full coaching, I do one-on-one consultations where we troubleshoot any issues you have and or map out a game plan for the next couple months for you. If you want to learn more about a body recomp, I have my 75 minute masterclass on body recomp, what it is, how to do it. And you can find the link to that in the show notes. And then if you um, give me a follow on Instagram. That's where I'm most active on social media. I post the most content and uh, I do my weekly or I do two Q and A's a week. And then obviously come on here and, and answer them in a little bit more detail on here. And then lastly, if you found, have found this podcast to be helpful in any way, if you could leave a rating and review, and that will help more people find this podcast. So with that out of the way, let's dive into today's question. So the first question I have is, do you think that a 60 year old man who wants to build muscle should train close to failure? So this is a good question because I think recently there's been more information on, there was that recent preprint meta regression from Zach Robinson. And a lot of people, the takeaways were, Hey, we, we want to train close to failure and, and whatnot. And, and as Zach mentioned, I had him on my podcast a couple episodes ago, talking about the paper in more detail. There's, it was definitely some misapplications of it. But again, I think generally from a muscle building standpoint, it's safe to assume that it's better to get closer to failure than to stay far away from failure right now. As far as what that exact number is, I think it's a little murky there on that. But again, generally, it's going to be better to train zero, one, two, three reps in reserve versus training five, six, seven plus reps in reserve for building muscle, which makes sense, right? Because it's going to be hard to actually overload by training uh, that far away from failure. And again, that stimulus, just it's just probably not tough enough there with that. Generally, we want to go closer to failure. Now, you know, from somebody who is 60 years old, does this change things? And I guess one other thing I want to add on here is we need to look at this in terms of, okay, this doesn't mean, I, I feel like a big mistake made here with training to failure is it's thought of either training to failure or non-failure training and and, and, it, and it's non-failure training is easy training, failure training is super hard training and it's either or, right? Where just because it's non-failure training does not mean it is it shouldn't be challenging, right? One RIR is still challenging and that's non-failure training. Two RIR is still challenging and that's non-failure training. So we need to make sure that we're not getting too confused with that and not separating non-failure training with easy training and failure training with hard training, right? Because it's on a spectrum and non-failure training can be challenging as well too. So I think that's the first thing that we need to do here with this is make sure that we're understanding the difference between those two things. 
and how they really aren't different. Now, again, obviously eight RIR is going to be different than two RIR, but again, those are both non-failure. That's both non-failure training, right? So again, it's super important to, to get that figured out. So as far as a 60 year old person goes, somebody who's a little bit older, how would I go about this situation? And I think it, it, it again, it becomes very similar to somebody who's 25. Now, again, maybe the specifics of that training to failure and whatnot might be a little bit different and how much time they train to failure might be a little bit different. So let's dive into it. And again, this is going to be something that's going to apply if you're 25, if you're 60, it doesn't matter. If you're new to weight training, you have poor technique, poor tech, poor execution, your focus isn't there, then I would not have you train to failure. This is good. This is how it would be. Even if you were 25 or 60, it would be the same thing, but especially if you're 60, right? I think that if you don't have the proper technique, you don't have the skill to do it. You shouldn't be going to failure. You should probably stay a little bit further away from failure until you really build up proficiency from execution standpoint, technique standpoint, focus standpoint, et cetera. And as you just get more experience in general. So in that case, I wouldn't. Now, if they have the experience, they have good technique, they have good focus during their sets, their execution uh, is good. Then, then yes, getting fairly close to failure from time to time or most of the time is fine and probably a good idea for muscle growth. This is also very exercise dependent as well, too. I would caution, this is for everybody, but especially somebody who is 40, 50 plus, it's probably better for them to go closer to failure on isolation type exercises over compound exercises. I generally would say that anyways, for somebody who's younger, but especially for this population, we would want it to be more machine-based stuff, isolation type stuff as well too. And also the amount of time that I would have somebody train at failure would probably be a lot less as they're 60 versus when they are, when they're 20s, 30s, 40s. So how often you get there? So maybe it's just like one set throughout an entire training cycle where somebody who's 25, 30, 40, something like that. Maybe it's one to two weeks out of the training cycle. We're getting pretty close to failure. So how often I would get there would also be dependent on age. But really the biggest thing is as you age, like you have to find a way to train that's still productive, understanding that, Hey, you're still muscle growth is going to be slower, et cetera. But we want to find a way to train that is going to allow you to, and this is for everybody, but this is especially true as you age, because let's be honest, recovery is probably a little bit lower, things like that. So you do have to be a little bit more careful with everything. Joints just probably have a little bit more wear and tear on them. So you do want to be careful from that standpoint. So that's where like having this good technique, experience, focus, execution is super important as you age. But really as as you get older, the, the big thing with training is it's less about intensity and more about what can keep you staying consistent. And so this is where, Hey, it's probably, you probably overall would want to train at failure less than somebody else. And again, maybe for any given RIR, it might be a little bit higher for somebody who's 60 versus somebody who's 30 in terms. So like week two, maybe for somebody who's 35 years old, maybe for them, we're at closer to one to two RIR, where somebody who's 60, maybe it's closer to two to three RIR. So we are probably just keeping a little bit more in the tank, but it's still tough training and and it still needs to be, and we still want it to be overloading. We just have to be a little bit more careful with the recovery side of things. And then obviously speaking of recovery, that's also going to play a huge role in this. This is also going to be dependent on how often this person trains. If they're training five, six times a week, which I probably wouldn't have somebody this age train that many times a week. Again, that's going to alter how close they go to failure. If they're only training three times a week, we can probably bump those RARs down for any given, like at any given time, because you're just not training as much. But also the recovery aspect of it's going to be important. Somebody is only, if I find out they're only getting four hours of sleep, um, they're not eating really any protein, they're um, either 
just consuming crap food all the time, or they're just under eating, not getting enough food in, that's going to alter how close to failure I'm going to have that person go as well too, because they're just going to have less recovery ability and that's going to impact how they can push. So these are all things I would consider. If I were to make a blanket statement, again, obviously there's a lot of things I just went over there that's going to alter it, but I don't think that you necessarily need to drastically change the intensity for somebody, again, with all those things and in, in taken into consideration there. Once you obviously dive into it more, it's okay. That really can alter where they go with that. So hopefully that makes sense. Let me know if you have any questions on this particular topic. I love that question. I thought it was great. So I'm going to go into the second one. And this is, uh, had a couple glasses of wine over the weekend. Did I ruin my entire week of training? And and, and no, my, my simple answer to this is no, there's no way that you ruined an entire week of training by having a couple glasses of wine um, over the weekend. I think with alcohol, it really only starts to add up the more you drink in one night and throughout the and throughout the week. So if you have one night where you have two or three glasses of wine, uh, that's going to have a very marginal impact on your training recovery and, and, and the adaptations that you made for that week. If, if anything, though, it's not... It, it, so I guess also we need to take this from a standpoint, this is a good kind of way to go off, to- not off topic, but go on a tangent here. It, it depends too on what exactly we're trying to go for here, right? If we're going for fat loss goals or muscle gain goals, which I think they go hand in hand, but whatever one's most important to you, let's say, again, you're specifically focused on, hey, is this going to impact fat loss? Obviously, again, the more you have, the more it is going to start to add up. Um, but again, the goal there is to find a way to make sure you don't get in too large, if, too far away from a, a calorie deficit, right? If fat loss is your goal. So with drinking, I think it's one of those things that it isn't necessarily the, the drinking itself, obviously, increases your overall caloric intake, right? And that's an issue that could get you out of the energy balance that you need for fat loss. However, to me, it's the things after the drinking, the 12 to 24 hours after drinking that impact people more than they think, right? So after you drink, it's going to impact your sleep, which then the next day has an impact on your energy levels, your hunger and cravings the next day, which can make it easier to overeat the following day. So there's that. But even later on in the night, you're more in that effort mindset. You're just going to have it, whatever you're hungrier, you might get the munchies and you're more likely to just be like, you know what, screw it. I'm going to eat anything. So that in turn is going to cause an increase in caloric intake, which could get you out of that energy balance that we want to be in for the week. So it's one of those things where, yes, it adds calories, but from a fat loss perspective, it's more about what happens later on down the line that could impact things more. So there's that. So again, the more often you drink, the more you have in one single night, the more likely these things happen and get you out of that energy balance that we want. And then from a muscle building standpoint, Having a couple glasses of wine at the end of the week, not really going to do anything. So long as you're eating enough protein, you're getting good sleep the rest of the week, you push the training like you need to, and it didn't impact your training, then you're good to go. The only like downside would be, hey, you might see a small sleep might be impacted that night. So if you train the next day, that could impact your training for the following day. So that would be the only thing there. So again, I think it's from a fat loss perspective, it's more likely to impact things versus a muscle building standpoint. But again, just the more you do it, the more you have, the more it's going to impact. It's not like you have one glass or two glasses. Now everything's just ruined for the entire week. It only ruins things if again, it's multiple nights, it's a lot in one night, then things will start to get impacted from a body composition standpoint. So that's a good question. And I'm going to go on to the last one. So best way to make traps grow. Mine lag no matter how many farmer walks and shrugs I do. So this is really hard to say how to make your traps go. So I'm going to go through my answer. And then I want to go through some ways that you can specialize a muscle group that isn't just just hammering away at training volume. Some things I would look at here, if you have, you can take this for the traps, but you can also take this for any muscle group. So are you getting close enough to failure? We just talked about the importance of that. Are you keeping 
you know, multiple reps in the tank because you're just trying to hammer away at the training volume. So it's hard to get to that intensity that you need to get at. So look at that. Are you getting close enough to failure? You don't have to get to failure, but close enough. What does your technique look like? Are you training your traps in a way that hits the traps or are you just like bouncing up and down with your shrugs, right? You know, again, that's probably not going to be the most productive for trap training. Are you recovering and eating enough? So again, not even from a training standpoint, are you making sure that you're feeling, you're sending that signal by weight training, but are you making sure that you're recovering, getting plenty of sleep? Are you making sure that you're not always in a calorie deficit? Um, Are you making sure that you're getting enough protein? These are all going to be things that are uh, going to impact your, your training, right? So those would be some things I would look at, but from there, these would be the first questions I would ask because I think a lot of times when people don't see a muscle group grow that they want, they just automatically assume that they hammer, they just hammer away at that muscle group, right? I'm going to do all the farmer walks. I'm going to do million shrugs. I'm going to do every variation of shrug. And then you just end up doing a ton of junk volume where it's like you're doing more work, but it's not productive stimulative work. And, and, and yeah, you're just spinning your wheels uh, more so there because you're just trying to do a ton for that. Also look at your upper back training. What does that look like? Your upper back can train your traps a little bit as well too. So are you doing some training that is elbows flared out a little bit more versus tucked in? Are you hitting different variations of that? So look at that. And then where I want to go take this for the rest of the conversation is let's say you, you do have a muscle group that you want to see grow. It's maybe it's just lagging a little bit, or you just specifically want to see that muscle group grow. What are some things that we can do here? First, I want to point you to episode 297 with Brian Borstein. He dove into this a little bit more, but I want to talk about what are some things that you can do, right? Versus, oh, hey, just slam away at more volume. I do think first though, like if you haven't been training consistently for one to two years, then you should probably train everything fairly evenly at first. Like we don't want to just go into these specialization phases where we grow everything. You might find that muscle group, once you improve like your technique, execution, training intensity, that it's actually a little bit more responsive than you think. And saying this, I do find that for men, I will generally program more chest work. And for women, I'll generally program more glute work. Again, this is still based on on preference. But over time, you will find that some body parts are just less responsive to training and whatnot. And then again, maybe after one, two years, you find that, hey, I really want to focus on this muscle group. But I would train everything evenly at first to, to find that out. All right. So the first thing, the first lever we can pull here to specialize a muscle group and to make it, if you're not doing this, so it would be exercise order. So if the muscle group you want to bring up is always buried at the end of your workout, which to me, traps would probably be one that you would see that based on kind of the advice you would get of, oh, hey, you need to do your compound lifts first. So I could see traps being thrown later on. Then you can assume that you're not. So if you do that, so if you're say you want to grow your traps, you put those last every time, then you can assume that you're not putting everything into that one because you're not as fresh at that point. So move it first in your workout at least one time per week, even if it is, even if it is like your delts or calves or something like that. Again, these kind of non, these muscle groups that you wouldn't technically think people would uh, do there on that. So intensity, I talked about intensity earlier. Make sure you're training that muscle group closer to failure. Think zero to two RAR most of the time. A lot of people, for example, will struggle building their legs because they're three plus reps away from failure all the time. It's just tough to do. I think traps are probably a little bit easier to get to failure, but make sure you're doing that. And then you could also train further away from failure on muscle groups that are more responsive. So if you find that your biceps are super responsive to training, maybe you put those a little bit further away from failure to save up some um, resources for your traps specifically, or whatever it is. Third thing you can do is decrease volume on more responsive muscle groups. Again, maybe your biceps are super responsive to training. You might look at going from 10 sets closer to six sets for the week. Again, that's going to allow you to have more resources available for maybe more of these stubborn uh, muscle groups. Frequency, you can increase how many times you train that muscle group per week. So if you only train it one time, then you can move it to two times. If you only train it two times, then you can move it to three times. So that can be a way to, again, and maybe two of those times you're, you're training it 
earlier uh, in the training session. Exercise selection and, and, and execution. This is another thing you do. Can you choose more effective exercises for that muscle group or can you improve your technique execution of that exercise? An example of this would be, I see a lot of people trying to build their quads, glutes through just a back squat. So again, we know back squat's good, but if that's not a good exercise for you, maybe you need to find another one. This With this specific example, the person brought up farmer farmer's walks. Farmer walks probably aren't going to be the greatest for traps, for trap development. So that could be something where you need to improve that exercise selection for that muscle group. And if farmers walks, your traps are going to be just isometrically, they're going to be in in place. They're not going to be actively moving through anything to to hold the weight. And isometrics probably aren't, are probably inferior to eccentric movement and actual contraction versus just holding the weight. Let me see. Okay. So number six and the the final one would be then at that point, you could increase the volume. So it's the last one and not the first thing you do. If you have done all things before this and you can add in some volume to the area you want to build, but what I'll say, make some small increases. Don't go from 10 to 20 sets, go from 10 to 12 and go from there. So those would be some things that you can do to prioritize a muscle group if you want it to grow or you want to specialize a a certain muscle group. So I hope that was helpful. That's it for this episode. If you guys have any questions, let me know and I will chat with you next time. Thank you for listening. If you want more free content like this, follow me on Instagram at jeffh91 underscore or visit jhhealth.net. See you next time.